Hey everyone, this is Chad. Thanks for taking time to listen to my latest sermon. I want to give you a quick update before the sermon plays. At Creekside, we just had our annual business meeting. This is a meeting where we talk about budget, share vision, and celebrate the work of God in the last year. And one of the things we celebrated this year is that our sermon podcast listens went from somewhere around 2,000 to over 15,500. I want to publicly just say thanks to God for that. And I want to say thank you for listening. We put these sermons online for you, and it's good to know that you're listening, and I hope that you are being impacted. We would love for this upward trend of sermon podcast listens to continue, and you can help with that in four ways. First, keep listening. And second, if you listen to this on a podcast host, please subscribe. Also, if you would leave us a rating or review, that would help our sermons be heard by more people. And finally, if you find any of these sermons really valuable and think that somebody else might benefit from them, please share them. We would really appreciate you doing those things. One last thing, as always, if you find this sermon particularly helpful, we would love to know about it. If you do, please email us at respond at creekside.me. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that this sermon will help you learn and live more fully for Jesus. I worry about my, my children's futures, and, and I really mean that, that I do, and when I talk to Bryn, and Bryn and I talk, my wife, we... We have some genuine concerns, and I mean, every time that we see something bad take place in our country, every time we see, you know, what, what, what we kind of consider uh, a further step in, in moral degradation of our country, every time we see something that, that seems to come up that is, you know, just... Uh, unimaginable if I was to go back in my life 10 or 15 years something happens something take place uh, th- these things conjure up these feelings in us like I can't believe we brought a child into this world and and maybe every generation you know you can talk to my parents and, and my grandparents and whatever but but maybe every generation's felt this way but but really I, I just we look and we're like what is this country going to be like for our children when they're our age? And, and even more, like if our children have children, what, what is it going to be like? I think, and I do not say this lightly, that we are living in a time where, where our nation may become so anti-God, anti-things that, that, that we've stood on, that I stand on, that, that in some ways our country has stood on for, for a long time, uh, that we may not even recognize our country anymore in the next few decades. And even more than this, and, and I really, I, I, I didn't mean for the sermon to go this way, but uh, it needed to, I think. I think we stand at a time in our nation's history where there is a chance that the slowness of God's anger, his patience will run out and he will punish us on a grand scale. Now, 
I am not saying that I know this, that God has spoken to me, that, that I am 100% certain. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. If it's your first time here, you're like, oh boy, this is like what they say on TV. I'm not that guy, you know. I mean, I, I, that's not me at all. But when I look around and I see how our country is rejecting God. Even, I find this funny, that like a high majority of people in our country still say they believe in God, but it's almost as if they're, they're turning their back on God or flipping him the bird and saying, yeah, I believe you're up there, but I don't care one bit about what you have to say. And I think, as I kind of have a little bit of, of history knowledge, that, that maybe our country will face an incredible punishment of God. Now, I want to caution and say, when something bad happens in the country, you don't need to run around going, God did it, God did it, because if you don't know, you don't know. And some of that happened when the Twin Towers were bombed uh, 16 years ago or whatever. And, And I'm not saying that we should be those people. But what I am saying, this is what I'm saying this morning, is that when I think about my children and I think about just me even moving forward, I think that we live in an era of our country's history where we need to prepare ourselves in case things go so badly that our country is is ruined, Uh, either by our own moral failures or by the hand of God because he looks down and says, "I, I can't tolerate this any longer. Now, you might just up front go, God would never do that. Well, God has done that, and God has done that um, quite boldly. And and in Israel's history, he did that quite frequently. And and we see often in history when a nation begins to turn its back on God, then that nation ends sometimes. I mean, they just go away. Now, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that there will be revival. I, I pray for revival. Part of the reason I do what I do is because I want to see revival and all those things. But I do believe that we need to be prepared. Now, with that in mind, I, I just, it's, a, it's a weird sermon. And like I said, it, I didn't think it would go this way when I first opened the book of Zephaniah. I didn't think that we would end up here talking about the doom and gloom of our country. Not on a beautiful, sunny August day. Uh, I mean, I didn't think we'd end up here, but I think it's important. And, and here's why. If you're not prepared, then when it happens, if it happens, then it won't go well for you. I know you can probably tell this by looking at me, but I played high school football. Just kidding. Uh, I played high school football and uh, I didn't play it extremely well. I was a basketball and baseball player. My junior year, a friend of mine who was a basketball teammate called me, said, hey, look, the, the practices aren't that bad. Uh, it was part of, I played for a, a legend of a high school coach in Oregon and, and one of the things that set him apart is he didn't make practices hard because he wanted the baseball and basketball basketball people to come out and play football and so my buddy's like practices aren't that bad it'll be fun so I came out thinking I'd hang out with my buddy Ryan and then I I was on the JV team and so we didn't even get to hang out and and then the next year I'm like there's no way I'm doing that again I played baseball until about mid-August every summer and then practice like it already started at that point and then like the season was upon you 
I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that again, you know, standing on the sidelines of JV as a junior wasn't at the top of things to do. And uh, those uniforms are not nearly as warm as a nice coat in the stands, you know, I mean, and, and so I was like, no way I'm doing that. And then my baseball coach, who was the defensive coordinator, called me and he said, hey, we could really use you. It's like, oh, well, now I'm somebody, you know, they couldn't use me at all. Um, and so I ended up sitting on the sidelines most of the time again. I did kickoffs. The one game my dad was late to, I had two tackles on kickoffs off before he got there he missed him uh, but some things transpired during my senior year of football one kid was talking bad about the coach and it got back to the coach and so he was suspended uh, another kid got hurt they were unhappy with another kid's play and all of a sudden I go from like four string kickoff guy to a conversation with the defensive backs coach saying hey you need to be ready to go this Friday because there's a, there's a real chance you're going you're gonna to get some playing time. Like, that's exciting. You know, I mean, here we go, baby. A little scary, too. Like, are they going to kill me? You know, um, and so I, I really wasn't scared. But uh, so we're playing this team that runs something called the option. And uh, basically, the quarterback is going to go one way or another. The running back's going to run behind him. And the quarterback has the option on whether or not to toss it to the running back or keep it and run. And I played nickelback, uh, which means nothing to a lot of you. And if it means something to you I don't need to explain it but I played nickelback which which kind of had to guard some people and also try to tackle some people how's that for an explanation and all week long the coaches were like here's the deal on the option in your position they were saying it to everybody not just me if there's an option you don't go to the ball you just hit the running back the guy behind the quarterback don't go to the ball hit the guy that is behind him he won't have the ball he's not going to see you coming it's an easy target we know you weigh 140 pounds go hit the guy he'll never see it coming hit the pitch man all week long they said it to me I can almost hear it today hit the pitch man hit the pitch man hit the pitch man well I don't know what happened but I didn't start the game and I still felt like I wasn't going into the game and all of a sudden they're like you're going in and and I don't know if you've ever got into a, a, a Maybe, I don't know if this happens when you're young. I'd never experienced it when I was young. But going into a varsity sport for the first time, it happened in basketball, it happened in baseball. The world just starts going like a million miles an hour. Your mouth goes completely dry. Uh, in basketball and baseball, I was totally prepared. In football, not so much. So I get out there for the play, and this is a moment. You know how the coaches give the speech where hey, you need to be prepared because your opportunity might come and you need to make the most of it. Well, that's a great speech. I should have listened. And so I get out there and what do they run? They run the option. And I'm out there and I swear everybody got faster than they used to be and, and everything's crazy and somebody's trying to hit me and everything's moving so quickly. And the quarterback has the ball. And I start running for him. And they pitched it and they got 11 yards and I spent the rest of my time on kickoff duty. Uh, that is the serious story. And here's what it illustrates for me. If you're not prepared, then when the time comes, you're not going to handle it correctly. And this morning, I think you have two choices. You got, you got a couple of choices. You can be like me in high school football and say, sure, coach, whatever you say, and not really prepare yourself. Or you can pay attention to what the book of Zephaniah says 
take it to heart and hopefully you'll never have to use it at all. You'll never have to go through a mass punishment of, of our country. You, you'll never, in fact, I hope you'll see a revival where people return to God and live for God and do what God wants. But I hope you'll be like, hey, if the time comes, I need to be ready to hit the pitch, man. Zephaniah is an interesting book because... Uh, speaks to a mass punishment that's coming. It's written to the northern kingdom of, of Israel, the, uh, Judah it's called, and the, the nation of Israel, if you don't know the Bible's history, had split, or just history, had split into two countries. They had had uh, a separation, and, and then they had these two tribes that made up the northern kingdom and, and these ten that made up the southern kingdom. Total split, different kings and all of that. And he's writing to this northern kingdom. And this northern kingdom is in a time not dissimilar to ours, where the people there would have been like, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm not going to do anything he says. In fact, I believe in God, but I'm going to worship a lot of other things, idols sometimes, self sometimes, the the way that I want to do things sometimes. I'm going to worship whatever I want to worship. Yeah, God, I know you're there, and and maybe God will give you my Sundays or Saturdays in their case. I'll give you one day of the week, but I'm going to live however I want to live, despite the fact that I think you're up there. And this book is written because the patience of God has run out. And God is going to send his punishment. In Zephaniah 1.1, it says, the, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, king of Ammon, king of Judah. There's a couple of interesting things about just this little quick genealogy and that's why I decided to include it in my sermon and the first thing is that this actually makes Zephaniah who's writing this book royalty he's actually in the royal line he wouldn't be like Prince William but he'd be somewhere on, as an offshoot you know somebody could have married his sister and uh, and the line uh, uh, he is in is a royal line and it's also interesting because what happens in this kind of quick time period of Israel's history. Hezekiah becomes one of the great kings in Israel's history. He he sees that there's moral decay in his time. He says, we need to live for God. We need to do something different. We need to pay attention to the word of God. And, And he leads a great revival in the nation of Israel. He's so great that I wanted to name my son Hezekiah. And as I preach this sermon, I'm still a little bothered that my wife didn't like the name. So uh, that's how much, how good Hezekiah is. Then there are two kings in between Hezekiah. One of them has a slight revival in his life, but for the most part, they lead the Israelites back into moral decay. They reject the ways of God. They reject the will of God. They don't do what God wants them to do. And then will come a guy named Josiah who will make things right again. But what's fascinating is that this book, Zephaniah, he writes about 10 years before Josiah will make his incredible reforms in the nation of Israel, in the kingdom of Judah. And what's so interesting about that is really two things. First, Zephaniah, it appears, is responsible for starting an incredible revival. I mean, Josiah is his distant cousin. Here comes Zephaniah. He writes this book about how God is not happy with the people. And his cousin eventually will respond. 
But the other interesting part of this book is that judgment is going to come anyway. Now, in the book of Joel that we looked at last week, if you were here, it, the book of Joel, it, Joel writes, and he's like, hey, punishment is coming. Punishment has come, punishment will come, and there's punishment in eternity. You need to repent, you need to turn around, you need to do what God wants you to do, and then maybe God will save you, and then God does save them. Zephaniah, not the same story. Zephaniah, you have rejected God too long, punishment will come. And then there's a revival, and then we know that Zephaniah is eventually proved right and the punishment comes anyway. And what this says to me, I think, is, is so just upfront and we're gonna look at how we should live in, in, in light of the fact that punishment might come and all those things. But what, what's so interesting is, is that even if God's punishment is sure, even if it's going to come and there's no way we can stop it on a mass scale, there is still a chance for our generations to see a revival, a returning to God. And when you look around, you may say, there is no hope. There is no hope because it seems like every day people are turning and rejecting God. And you may, you may believe in your heart of hearts that punishment will come upon our land. But you ought not be hopeless because your generation may still turn to God and live for God. The punishment may come despite that, but your generation may return to God and live for God and do the will of God. I know, I just know that there's so many people that look around and go, there's no hope in our country. There's no hope, there's no hope, there's no hope. It seems like everybody's angry. It's either Obama's fault or Trump's fault, you know. I mean, it's one of their faults, but everything's going to go badly and everything's going to end and, and our country is going to be ruined. People say stuff like that all the time. On both sides of the political fence, I hear this or read this all the time now, like, hey, this is gonna crash, this is terrible, it's all bad. But there's still hope. Even if these people are right, there is still hope. And here's what Zephaniah says, 114. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. The cry of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. Now we discussed the day of the Lord last week. Bears repeating again here that the day of the Lord in Israel's history, in the history of really humankind uh, and, and, and its relationship to God, the day of the Lord is a reference to times when God deals with the sins, with the wrongs, with the moral decay of people on a grand scale. And in history, there have been these moments when God deals with moral decay by sending an army to wipe out a nation, by sending a plague, by sending locusts. But ultimately, what we see in God's word in the Bible is that in the end, when Jesus comes back, this is what Christians believe, when Jesus returns to this earth, there will be a final day of the Lord. And so here, when Zephaniah says the day of the Lord is coming quickly, he isn't saying the return of Jesus is necessarily coming quickly because Jesus hasn't even come the first time yet. He is saying that this day where God will deal in a mass, on a mass scale with the sins of the people, with the rejection of him, with moral decay that exists in their kingdom is coming quickly. And then Zephaniah in an unparalleled way as far as the Bible goes describes how bad the punishment of God the day of the Lord is going to be. 
All of chapter one is basically this description of how terrible it's going to be for these people eventually. I don't want to read it all to you, but I want to read just a couple of verses. Zephaniah 1.18, Neither silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. We have that mentality, don't we? I thought things like this. If I can set up my kids for a future where they have money and they're successful and, and, and they have jobs that are important, then if God punishes or the moral decay continues, then they'll have a chance to survive it. And it seems that the Israelites were no different. Like, if we have the right resources, the right amount of money, our silver and gold, that can protect us. That can save us. And Zephaniah says, here's what you need to know. It's not going to come down to your resources. Your resources will not save you. Your wealth will not save you. And we know that, right? Because we've seen days in our history, the history of our country where we're, we're not, I'm not saying that God is punishing. Let me just be so clear about that. But days in our country's history where things have gone really badly and people's money is of no benefit to them at all. Like the Great Depression, right? I mean, it came. It didn't matter how much money people had. In fact, sometimes having a lot of money worked against people because they didn't know what to do with themselves some committing suicide because they didn't know what to do with themselves and Zephaniah says look God's punishment is coming and your resources will not save you I wrote this down I'm going to say it just for my wife but I wrote that hoping in things like the things that we can hold on to and that we can see in our money and our resources when God's punishment comes is like taking a bat to a fight with Harry Potter so there you have it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I was in that kind of mood. I hate Harry Potter. My wife loves it, but, uh, but I wrote it down. So there you go. Zephaniah 2.3, moving on, says this. This is the response. This is what people are to do. This is what is supposed to happen. And this is what you need to do to be prepared for if God comes and if God punishes. Zephaniah 2.3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah is clear that this punishment is coming because the people are arrogant. The people don't seek God. The people are not doing social justice. The people have rejected the wills and ways of God. The people have not responded to the warnings of God. God says, here's how you can be different. Here's what you can do. Here's how you can be prepared for the great day of the Lord that will come. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Now, just notice the things like seek God. Are you doing that? Be humble. Are you? Be obedient to God. Seek righteousness, which just means a right relationship with God. Seek humility. And perhaps, he says perhaps, you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord. Now know this, that when God's punishment comes on a mass scale, sometimes the righteous, those who live for God, those who love God, they are hurt right along with the people that aren't living for God. We see that in Israel's history. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said, hey, if you do exactly what God wants you to do, then things are going to be okay for you. That'd be a lie. 
I mean, there's just these moments in, in the history of Israel like where, where they do what is wrong and God says, look, I'm sending an army and the army comes and they take people into exile. That's a word we use in Christian circles a lot. And a lot of times people who love God and live for God go right along in exile with those who have rejected God and caused the punishment in the first place. But Zephaniah says, maybe God will shelter you. Maybe God will shelter you if you are living in this way. I thought of earthquake drills in, in uh, high school or grade school. I don't think we did them in high school, but in grade school. And, and I thought about how stupid it would be to go, and this is kind of my mentality, look, if an earthquake comes, this desk is not saving my life. I think we all kind of, we all agree, right? Like, this is not going to work. I mean, this desk barely stands when I'm using it, you know? Like, I, I mean, if you went to my high school, you know? Like, hey, when I push my pencil down, the desk almost goes down. So I'm not sure what's going to happen when the roof caves in on me. However, I can tell you this. That if an earthquake came, I'd at least get under there, you know, and say, hey, perhaps it will work. Perhaps there's a chance. I spent this, this last year teaching uh, school Bible class, and, and uh, Matt, who was mentioned earlier in the announcements, we taught in there. And, and the first day, there was this, there was this uh, training where we went through all, you know, like the disasters that could happen. And, and we actually met in a modular, and it was it, it was almost hilarious it got to the point of being hilarious because they would say like well here's the plan but it probably won't work in the bible modular <laughs> like every time like well we got rid of all the asbestos but there might be a little left in the in the modular well well you need to lock the doors in case uh, if somebody comes on campus and starts shooting but in the modular you're gonna have to go outside to do that i'm not joking <laughs> it's like Whew, okay, uh, and, and hey, all these buildings seem like they'll be okay in an earthquake, but in your classroom, you know, there's no chance, like, all righty, uh, and it became this running joke, even like with, with shooting stuff, which I shouldn't laugh about, but, it, but I tried to laugh about it with the students because it was so ridiculous, they're like, hey, hide in a corner, and, and there's no corner because the windows, it's like you're in a direct line from the windows no matter where you go, so we had this giant plan to throw or the file cabineted people who broke into our classroom it became I mean I spent like four different class periods talking about how to attack people if they came into the class but I would try you know I mean like I, I wouldn't go like well there's a school shooter let's just go outside and die I wouldn't go well there's an earthquake we had carpet over the asbestos you know I mean we were giving it our best effort and what Zephaniah says is if the day of the Lord comes to your nation if God decides that enough is enough and he looks at the moral decay and says, I can't put up with this anymore because I am a just, holy God, then your best shot is found in having a good, right relationship with God where you have humbled yourself. You still may, you still may face the consequences of your nation's decisions and that's one of the reasons you should be praying for your leaders, the Bible says that. But maybe you'll be sheltered. And it's not worth it. I'm telling you, it's not worth it to say, I'm not gonna get under the desk because I'm not sure if it's gonna work. And there are a lot of people that are totally unprepared. I mean, there are people that I know who, who believe in God, but 
act like God doesn't exist. Practical atheism is a word that, that we would use for it. It's a word that people use for the, the, the situation in Zephaniah where it's like you're not an atheist but you act like an atheist and there's no difference between your life and everybody else's life. And, and there are people that I know who... who who if you got right down to it, they believe in God, but they've just rejected him and they don't want anything to do with him. And I think that we need to pay attention to what Zephaniah says here. It's like, hey, there's no chance unless your chance is God. And what does this mean? I mean, this means that if you aren't a Christian, I'm telling you, you should become a Christian. What it means to humble yourself, I think for somebody that lives after Jesus died and rose again, what I think it means to humble yourself is to look at God and say, God, like, I am a sinner. There's nothing good in me. And I want to come into a relationship with you. And I accept your gift of salvation. The arrogance say, I don't need God. I'm pretty good. I got it figured out. There's no reason to give my life to Jesus. Arrogance is one of the great reasons that people reject Jesus. Now, you may be a person that gives a lot of different excuses than that, but I think, honestly, if you were being just, just straightforward, that your arrogance would be one of the reasons that you reject Jesus and the gift that he offered in the Bible. You, you look at him and you go, I don't really need you. I'm a pretty good person. And Zephaniah says, you need to humble yourself. And you need to seek righteousness, which just means a right relationship with God. And what I believe as a Christian person, what the Bible teaches, what, what I think is true, is that we all have rejected God in some ways. While we not, may not be so bad that we are the ones that are causing the moral decay in our country, in fact, I think that would describe most of us, we still have rejected God in some way at some point in our lives. We have done things that we know are wrong, even if we didn't know uh, that it was because God said it was wrong. And God looked down from heaven to earth and he said, look, I'm going to come down there because there's no way for you to get out of that. There's no way for you to have forgiveness. There's no way to, for you to have a right relationship with me. I will come down to earth and I will come in the form of Jesus and I will die the most brutal spiritual death there has ever been. I will rise again and in doing so I will conquer sin and death. And if you accept that gift, you can have a right relationship with me, but it's going to take some humility on your part to say, I don't have it all figured out. I haven't been perfect. And God, I want to, as it says here, seek you and seek a relationship with you. Please, God, make me righteous. Make me have a good, right, holy relationship with you. And so Zephaniah in these words says something that is so profound when we're able to look back. For Zephaniah, I mean, these people just, they had to go make sacrifices. They had to literally kill animals. They had to every day wake up and say, did I, did I do something wrong? Because, because if I did, I need to, I to kill another animal. I need to make another sacrifice. I got to make it right with God. And for Zephaniah, uh, it, he says these things that only we can understand the profundity of and go, look, look, I can have all of that by seeking a right and good relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I hope that you'll do it. I really do. And Zephaniah says in 2.7, the land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Eshkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. And here's what we see throughout history. There is always a remnant of God's people. I know that a lot of Christians 
in my life feel like, man, Christianity is being, is being sucked out of our country. I mean, are there going to be any left in a handful of years? You know, I mean, wh- what's going to happen? Christianity is dying. We feel that way. I mean, maybe you don't feel that way, but I, but I think people, a lot of people feel that way. And there's this idea of remnant that springs forth in the book of Zephaniah and is illustrated by, uh, in a different book of the Bible, by this guy named Elijah. And Elijah's trying his best to live for God. And all that's happening because he's living for God is that people are trying to kill him. So he has some really bad days where people try to kill him. He runs to a cave. He's hanging out in a cave. He's upset with God. He says, God, I'm the only guy left that loves you and lives for you. This whole country has rejected you. And God says, no, 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 Elijah. I have reserved a remnant of people who are humble and seek me and have righteousness. Throughout the history of the world, God has always had a remnant of people. And the question is not whether there will be a remnant. The question is whether you will be part of that remnant. And the way that you prepare for a disaster that could come upon our country, the way that you prepare is you become part of the remnant by seeking God in humility. Zephaniah 2.9 says, Therefore, surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. I mean, here's, here's what's being said here, and you may not pick it up, but the people are questioning, wait, like, God, at least we kind of like you. I mean, at least we don't hate your guts. At least we, we respect you a little. I mean, we say the right things. I'm hanging out at the synagogue, or not at that time, at the temple on Saturdays. You know, at least there's a little bit of respect for you. And now you're telling me, God, that your plan is to send nations to, to plunder us, to pillage us, to, to destroy us. They hate you. I mean, they openly hate you. And here we are just kind of, you know, quietly disrespecting you. But, but how is this fair? That's not fair. Habakkuk, the whole book, and you should read it. And I preached on it in this series when we did it before because this is a, a return of a series. Uh, you, should, you should listen to the series, but even more, you should listen or read the book of Habakkuk because that's the whole question that he has. <laughs> like, God, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm decent I'm a decent person. How can you let me be punished? How can you let us be punished when those people absolutely hate you? I think we deal with this. Like, God, why are you mad at me? I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm trying a little, you know. I mean, I'm not that humble and I'm not seeking you and I really haven't focused on righteousness in a while. But I'm I'm doing better than that guy. Neighbor Bob, he hates you. He's got that atheist sticker on his car, you know? I mean, what about them? And, and what God says in Zephaniah 2.9 is, look, this is a universal idea. Punishment comes upon all people who reject me with their lives. Those who reject me practically and those who reject me with their words, punishment is going to come to everybody. And that's what we know when we look at the, the, the stories of Jesus and what Jesus taught and what the writers of the second part of the Bible that we call the New Testament said. I mean, they say, look, in the end, there's going to be this valley of decision. Uh, that's the word that Joel, or the phrase that Joel uses, this valley of decision. And God will sit on a throne and he will send some to eternal punishment and some to eternal glory. 
And what stands between those two things is the decision that we make about Jesus. A decision that will determine if we are humble and righteous and we are living for God. In Zephaniah 2.11, it says, This is what they will get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the earth. Distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. I mean, let's be clear here. Let's be so clear. It doesn't matter what people say. God is awesome. And someday every single human, whether they they think so or not, will declare God's awesomeness. The question is whether or not we will do it before it is too late or not. If you are a person who has rejected God, then you're looking at God and, and whether just with your life or with your words, you're going, you're not that awesome, God. But if you're a Christian, you've given your life to God. You can still be a person that acts like God's not awesome. God's not going to punish me. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. And when the punishment comes, we will fall on our knees and tear and go, God is awesome. And And the trick of it all is that you should treat God that way now before he returns. And in Zephaniah 3, 1 and 2, he speaks to Jerusalem, this nation that's supposed to be holy and is supposed to be good. And, and in it, I see so clearly, and we, we've just come off a series on church not that long ago, and, and I talked a lot about the, the failures of the church in our country and, and how we don't want to follow the same pattern as, as every church out there. And, and in Zephaniah 3, 1 and 2, he talks to these people who are supposed to be the religious leaders. He says, Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Man, alive. I see this all around us where churches are just, where Christian communities are just rejecting the ways of God. And if we are a part of that, then we will be a part of the mass punishment if it comes upon our country. When the religious leaders and the religious institutions begin to reject the wills and the ways of God, then a nation has problems. And that is one of the things that scares me. I love the churches in in Wilsonville, and I just want to make that clear because it sounds like I'm like, we're the only church. That's not at all true, and and especially in our city, we have have great churches in our city. I I love the pastors in our city. I I love uh, people that I know that go to other churches in our city, And, and so I'm not saying like every church, but I see entire denominations, entire groups of people that label themselves Christians that are, that are rejecting all the things that God has said. We had this, this thing going for a little while um, in, in our town where, where pastors would get together and it was supposed to be a, a prayer meeting and this can happen and this is when I stopped going, but it became kind of like a planning meeting, like how can we reach Wilsonville, which had some benefit, but it wasn't what I was looking for at that time. And, 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 but there was this one thing that, that we had planned that, that, that I would have loved. And actually, oddly, this is weird. Uh, it would have happened today. Uh, and this was years ago, and, and not like this day, but, but there was this great idea to, the day after Fun in the Park, 
which was yesterday, to have an all-city church service in the same park and have all the churches come together and, and worship God together. And it's like, wow, this is a great idea. And, and there was this idea to bring in somebody from an organization that is, is not controversial at all. All they do is, is teach that basically Jesus came and died and rose again, something that... that, that <laughs> By its very nature, every, by the very nature, every Christian should agree to and be okay with. I mean, that's what we believe. If we shy away from that, then I'm not sure what we actually believe. And there was one person that represented a denomination that has almost completely rejected uh, what God has said. And, and this meeting was going well. Everybody was on board. We were excited. It seemed like a good thing. And they said, uh, we wouldn't be comfortable with that kind of message. And I, and I think... This is what, what God is speaking to in Zephaniah 3, 1 and 2. Like, the people who are supposed to uphold the truth of God are rejecting his truth. And an, I don't believe a nation can, can stand. I don't believe a nation can, can do good when those things are true. And then in Zephaniah 3, 5, I have, to, I have to read this. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. And here's what I need you to know. Uh, that God is good even when people aren't. God is good even when people who declare that they love him and they live for him aren't not. And a lot of people reject God. They refuse to seek a relationship with him. They, they refuse to, to accept his righteousness because they look around and they go, those people who say they love and live for God, they're jerks. They don't do anything that the Bible says. And Zephaniah 3.5 says, look, you need to understand this. God is good even when people are not. And in Zephaniah 3, 7 of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they are still eager to act corruptly, corruptly in all they did. I mean, God's looking down. He's going, I've warned you. I've warned you. I've warned you. I've warned you. And you still are rejecting me. And I hope, and I, I trust that God hopes that if you were a person who is rejecting God. We're hoping that you'll respond to the warning, even the warning of Zephaniah this morning, and say, God, no more will I reject your warnings. I want to be one of the remnants. And in Zephaniah 3, 9 and 10, he says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, scattered people, will bring me offerings. And you need to understand that at the heart of all of it, God desires your worship. Worship will be one of the defining themes of the eternal experience of those who have given their lives to Jesus who have become a part of the remnants. And God says, I want, I desire your worship, and someday I will have it. And then in Zephaniah 3, 11 through 13, it says, On that day you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from you the arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave 
within you the meek and humble, the remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. Sin will be removed from the world in God's eternal glory. And in Zephaniah, I know I'm reading a lot of verses, but I tried to cut some of it and all of it is so good. And, and I know we don't have lyrics today because we're figuring out the screen stuff and my wife is out of town. But I, I just want you to, you gotta hear all this and you should go home and reread Zephaniah 3 because it's such a great description of what our eternity will be like if we make a decision to be part of the remnant. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands go limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior will save you. He will take great delight in you. In his love you will no longer, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that beautiful? Just if you heard nothing but the last line, he will rejoice over you with singing. Someday in our eternities, if we're part of the remnant, then we will sing to God and he will sing over us as a mother sings over their child. And then in Zephaniah 3, 18 through 20, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you at that time I will deal with all who oppressed you I will rescue the lame I will gather the exiles I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame at that time I will gather you at that time I will bring you home I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes says the Lord if you are a part of the remnant it does not matter if our nation crumbles because what you have to look forward to is an eternity where there is no mourning, there is no pain, there is no suffering. Everything that is wrong with your life has been set right. You will sing to God, he will sing over you, and everything will be perfect. The only question is whether or not you will be prepared. You have a choice. You can humble yourself. You can say, I am a sinner. God, I, I want righteousness. I want to be in, in a relationship with you. I'm going to seek you. Or you cannot. And the outcome will be entirely different based on the choice that you make. It's interesting because I, I, I have some words in my conclusion here but on the way here this morning I turned on the radio I have I think it was on 92.3 which is like classic rock or something right and I don't really listen to that I usually listen to podcasts in the car but when I turned on the radio that's where it was so maybe God uh, wants me to bring this up but they had this guy who was an expert public speaker or something and and he has a, a drama background and he was talking about what people do wrong in their public speeches and then he said this weird thing that was so applicable for this morning. He said, when you talk to an audience, you don't want to focus so much on the reward because people will go towards a reward less quickly than they will run away from pain. Like, wow, that's crazy for the book of Zephaniah. And we have that response, right? Stick your hand on the burner on accident of the oven and you move away super quickly. But somebody says like, hey, you want $5? You're really leery. Like, really? You're gonna give me five bucks? You know what I mean? We run from pain and we kind of walk towards glory. And so it would have been my finishing point here today to say, hey, 
You should want that eternal perfection where there's no more sorrow, where you get to live, and by the way, you should picture like the perfect earth where you get to do fun stuff and, and, and do cool things and hang out with your loved ones, but there's not going to be any fear or worry or pain or sorrow. I mean, that's, that's the eternity that we have to look forward through to if we're the remnant of God, if we have accepted Jesus of our, as our Savior, if we have chosen to humble ourselves, if we have chosen to seek Him. But instead, I want to finish by saying, if that's not you, you need to fix it. Because we, maybe in our country, but for sure in eternity, are facing a tragic disaster. You, I'm not, you are facing a tragic disaster where you are punished for eternity, where there will be no good, where you won't hang out with loved ones, where you will not have any fun and you will have a life of eternal sorrow and pain and hurt and torture even. And my recommendation for you is to take your hand as far away from the burner as you can. And whether you're not a Christian and you need to give your life to Jesus or you are a Christian but you're flirting around with just, you know, kind of I like God but I don't like God, you need to humble yourself. You need to seek righteousness and you need to live your, you need to live for the glory and awesomeness of this God who has power to determine your eternity. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I didn't expect this one. I did not see this sermon coming, God, but I think you led it this way and I pray that you would use it in the lives of these people. I pray that it would fall where it needs to fall, Lord. I pray that, God, where I was confusing, you would bring clarity. I pray, God, where, um, where I misspoke, you would bring truth. And I, and I pray, God, uh, where I wasn't inspirational, your Holy Spirit would now inspire deeply people to make the decisions that they need to make based on this book and what you have said to us in it, Lord. Lord, you know that I fear for Hazel and Hudson's futures. But God, I'm so thankful that my hope is not found in our country getting better and us electing the right presidents and us... uh, You know, even in revival in this country, God, even though I want that so desperately, my hope is found in my confidence that they will eventually humble themselves and give their lives to you and you will take them into an eternal glory. And God, while I have really no ability to protect them on this earth, I know that you have the ability to protect them for eternity and I know that you will if they become part of your remnants. I want that for them. I want that for all these people who are here this morning. I want that for all the people who will listen online. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us in that way. I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.